following content is provided by Mythgard Institute. Mythgard, making scholarly discussion of fantasy and science fiction literature free and open to everyone. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number 17 of our discussion of Sir Thomas Maori's Lamar d'Arthur as we continue our inevitable grind towards the longest Mythgard Academy class ever while still being less than halfway through Lamar d'Arthur. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, so glad you guys are still with me here um, tonight. So we're gonna be officially behind one way or the other after tonight. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this again at the end, but here's the plan. We're, I wanna get through the Tristram material. My goal, my dream here tonight is to get through uh, the, the this first big block of Sir Tristram material and then the little adventures of Sir Lamorak that we get after that. Uh, and, but I'm not, I do not aspire, in fact, to get to the little mini story of uh, uh, Sir Lacote Maltail, um, uh, uh, Sir the Ill-Fitting Coat or the Ill-Made Coat, uh, another one of Kay's uh, spiteful nicknames. Uh, anyway, so <clears throat> we'll, we'll get that little mini adventure. Uh, we'll do that next time. So then I think we can do that for next, uh, next week. Anyway, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what we can do. And then we'll have Thanksgiving week after that. But anyway. So that's the plan. That's the plan for tonight. Before we jump in, though, I just want to one quick announcement, which is not a new announcement, but it is an urgent announcement. And that is Magnolia Moot, which is happening in, in two days time. I will be in Charlotte, North Carolina and um, uh, uh, looking forward to seeing folks there. Uh, really cool crowd at Magnolia Moot. I'm looking at the list of people who are coming and I'm like, oh, man, so many awesome people I can't wait to talk to. Uh, and and so many that I haven't gotten a chance to meet yet that I'm going to finally get a chance to meet in person. It's going to be so cool. So if you are anywhere near Charlotte, North Carolina, there is still just time to register tomorrow. That is, for those of you who are not listening live, Thursday, November, whatever day tomorrow is, 8th. That's what it is. November 8th. Thursday, November 8th uh, is the last day to register. So uh, please do go and uh, uh, and register if you possibly can. It's uh, it's going to be really cool. So, um, oh, Rachel, are you gonna are you gonna come to to are you coming to Magnolia Mood too? Did I miss your name on the list? I've been uh, I, I kind of scanned through it, but I don't think I, I caught everybody. I just a couple of names. Uh, I, I caught. Oh, cool! You're coming too. That's awesome. Fantastic. Um, yeah, no, that's gonna be great. So I'm super looking forward to going to Magnolia Moot in just a couple of days. So I hope that you can join me. Again, just go to signumuniversity.org, uh, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see the Magnolia Moot uh, little panel for you to click on there. Uh, and the registration link is right there on that page uh, that you click through to. So I hope to be able to see some of you after this. We're going to have I'm, this is like two full mootless months to come our next moot isn't until january after that which after the last month feels like you know ages and ages uh, i'm gonna go into moot withdrawal uh, i think um uh before we get down to text moot uh in uh january uh so uh, that's going to be, I'm looking forward to, 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 to text moot. Um, but anyway, yeah, as I say, we'll have a gap before that. So this is your last moot chance, uh, in, uh, in a while there. So, all right. Um, that 
concludes my announcement. So now let us get back into the story of Sir Tristram here. So you may recall that uh, we had just gotten to uh, the pharmacological angle, that is the, the love potion, right? And one of the things, again, that I was suggesting there, um, uh, one of the things that I was uh, uh, th that I was just suggesting uh, in looking at the love potion is the way in which Maori seems to be kind of wanting to have it both ways, right? We we were looking last time at how how much attention he is drawing to the fact that Sir Tristram has made the choice, right? He gets so many opportunities to do things differently, right? Um, he has all kinds of excuse to like just marry. La Belle Isode himself, right? But he doesn't do it. Uh, he sort of insists that she goes back and marries King Mark uh, so that they can have a tragic love triangle instead. Though it's not exactly a love triangle with King Mark because nobody loves King Mark, right? I mean, who loves King Mark? Nobody, like his own mother probably doesn't love King Mark. Nobody loves King Mark. Uh, so it's not properly speaking a love triangle so much as it is just an illicit uh, affair complicated by treason, which, you know, is not, a good look. So, uh, but again, but it is a familiar look and one which is important, uh, uh, certainly, even if for no other reason, it would be important as a foil for the much more significant story of Lancelot and Guinevere, as I was suggesting last time. But again, that element of simultaneously choice and inevitable fate, right? It is just by chance that they drink this magical love potion, which makes them helplessly in love with each other for the most part it seems the efficacy of the love potion seems to be potentially a little bit uh uh it kind of wears off on tristram a little bit it sort of seems but anyway whatever the point is we get uh, we get both right with them and again i think uh, the more the more i think about it and the more i i read and reread uh mallory's tristram the more I feel that Mallory is very uh, is very sort of conspicuously setting the stage. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the story of Tristram and Isolde, as Mallory, Mallory tells it in itself, like, again, nobody just extracts like the story of Tristram and Isolde is told by Mallory, um, because it's not, he doesn't really make a real story of it on its own. Um, it's, it's a setup, right? It's a preparation. It's paving the way uh, for the real story that's going to come uh, later on. Um, <laughs> Tomas suspects that the drink was a placebo. Uh, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Can't rule it out. Can't rule it out. The narrator tells us it isn't. But, you know, you, uh, I can understand if you have your suspicions. All right. So we had just gotten... Uh, so soon after Isode comes to Cornwall, so she's married King Mark and they're prepared to live miserably ever after. Um, but remember, Isode was bringing her damsel, uh, uh, Brungwine. So we have both both um, Tristram and Isode each have their own uh, sort of servant, right? They're, they're, you know, they're number one, they're, uh, you know, uh, backup person uh to whom they're both devoted right we've got uh Gouvernail, the uh the manservant of tristram and of course we have uh brungwine the maidservant of isode now uh, again as in so many instances here um uh brungwine is a much bigger character in the in the source stories that uh, mallory is working with she gets brought in by name like Gouvernail gets brought in by name 
but there's not that huge of a role for her to play. But here we go. Um, <laughs> Carita says, Sir Tristram is like the budget Sir Lancelot. Yeah. yeah, he is kind of like the poor man Sir Lancelot. You don't have time to read the whole full excellent dramatic story. You can you can read the shorter, dirtier version um, uh, with Sir Tristram here. Now, of course, it's not quite fair to say that it's the version of the same story, right? Sir Tristram is not the knight that Lancelot is, and then we see him making choices that Lancelot would never make, right? Lancelot is totally not going to do any of these things, we know. Um, okay. Juan is owed to the queen, missed her maiden. Oops, I forgot. I was explaining context. So the other ladies of the court, like the Cornish ladies who have been assigned to be the ladies in waiting uh, on the new uh, queen from Ireland, are envious, right, of uh, Brungwine, her personal, you know, uh, uh, lady that she brought with her from Ireland and to whom she is obviously attached. They see her as an upstart rival, right? And so they, they get rid of her. They, they drag her off into the woods and tie her to a tree and leave her there, which, you know, tough politics in the court of Cornwall, you know. Um, you know, we, we've talked a couple times about, you know, the sort of the court of the ladies, right? You know, when there's the there's the 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 leaderboard, the chivalric leaderboard. But then, you know, the ladies have their own system. And apparently sometimes it's fairly cutthroat. Uh, but anyway, OK. Juan is owed the queen, missed her maiden. Wit you well, she was raked heavy as ever any queen meeked be. For of all earthly women, she loved her best and most. Cows why she come with her out of her country. And so upon a die, Queen Isode walked into the forest to put away her thoughtes, and there she went herself unto a well and mad great moan. And suddenly there come Sir Palamides unto her, and heard all her complaint, and sighed, Madam Isode, and ye will grant me my bone. I shall bring to you Dame Brangwine, south and sound. Then the queen was so glad of his proffer that suddenly unavised, she grant all his asking. Well, madam, said Sir Palamides, I trust to your promise, and if ye will abide half an hour here, I shall bring her to you. So you may remember, Sir Palamides happened to cross Brangwain as she was tied to the tree and left for dead, right? So he's already rescued her in a, you know, she'd been there for an indeterminate amount of time. So she was not in a good way, right? So he, he's, he's legitimately rescued her and he brings her to a local nunnery uh, for her to recuperate, right? So on the one hand, this was a kindly and charitable thing, right, for... Um, uh, for uh, uh, for Pelamides to do, right? And yet, even in the initial moment, right, um, uh, that is, in his choice to take her to the nunnery, he doesn't say anything, right? You know, he doesn't go to the court and be like, hey, is anybody missing a maiden? Found one tied to a tree, right? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, he sort of squirrels her away and keeps his own counsel. And, you know, was this his strategy all along? Was he... Uh, did he, you know, uh, you know, was 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 he planning to sort of entrap Isode? And much as I like Sir Palamides, that seems quite probable, right? Um, that this was in fact his strategy all along. Um, but here's, you know, but I want to I, I want to think carefully about this. What I want to be thinking about here is what is Sir Palamides up to, 
exactly we know Sir Palamides was in love with Isolde, right? Remember, he and Tristram were rivals for Isolde way back when uh, Tristram was uh, cunningly disguised as Sir Tramtrist, right, back in Ireland. Um, and you may also remember that when Sir Tristram defeated Sir Palamides in their first encounter there at the tournament um, in Ireland, he, Tristram, made Sir Palamides upon his defeat promise not only not to bear arms for 12 months, but to give up all pretensions of love towards Isolde, right? So he made her, he made him swear off Isolde already, right? And so now here's Palamides apparently beginning some, um, uh, some, uh, uh, his next uh, sort of a, a scheme, right? He seems not, in fact, to have wholly given up, um, but there also might be more to it than that here. So we'll have to, we'll have to see. So he's, he's promises, if you swear a rash vow to me, promise to give me anything I ask you, then I'll bring you your damsel in half an hour. And she, and notice how the narrator has emphasized how suddenly and unadvisedly she grants all his asking. She doesn't qualify. Remember that reasonable qualification that people like to throw in, right? I'll, I'll grant you anything reasonable. She doesn't qualify it, right? She's just like anything. Um, Sir, I shall abide you, said the queen. Then Sir Palamides rode forth his wide to that nunnery, and likely he come again with Dame Brangwine. But by her good will, she would not have come to the queen, for cow she stood in adventure of her life, notwithstanding, half again her will, she come with Sir Palamides unto the queen, and when the queen saw her, she was passing glad. Now, madam, sighed Sir Palamides, remember upon your promise, for I have fulfilled my promise. Um, Brungwine's reluctance, if I'm understanding that right, she says, um, so by her good will, she wouldn't have come to the queen. She doesn't want to go back to Isolde, right? Why doesn't she want to go back to Isolde? Not because she doesn't like Isolde, right? Uh, I mean, they do seem to be legitimately good friends, but for how she stood in adventure of her life, right? She's like, look, those Cornish ladies are trying to kill me, right? They did, if they failed the first time, they might be more direct the second time, right? I, I might not get the tied to a tree and left for dead treatment the next time. And I totally agree with you, Karita. This absolutely qualifies as a hostile working environment for Bronquine here. And that seems to be, you know, she's like, can I, can I talk to my union rep or somebody, right? This is, uh, there's got, it's got to be better here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tolera Stroke says, next up, somebody's going to bring Isode, her name's missing L, South and Sound. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, so, Karina, you might think that bringing the you know, Queen's damsel off into the woods and attempting to murder her. I mean, attempted murder, you'd think would be a crime, even uh, even if, you know, the uh, intended victim is Irish. Um, but, uh, you know, that's um, doesn't seem to come up. I, I'm I'm not sure why, Carita. I'm thinking because King Mark, right? Again, nobody likes King Mark and he's fairly useless. Um, so I think uh, uh, no good is going to be coming from that quarter. Um, yeah, so stood in adventure of her life, Crystal Eowyn, uh, literally it means like her life is at risk, basically. Um, she's like 
taking a chance with her life if she goes back essentially is what that means adventure just it means like you don't know what's going to happen right so um her life is at stake if she goes back to the court and she knows it um yeah yeah okay uh so palamides his plan is going well right remember upon your promise for i have fulfilled my promise right okay so what is he gonna ask He comes in to the court and he's like, so your wife promised me anything I asked. And uh, well, madam, sighed the king. And if ye were hasty to grant what bone he would ask, I would well that ye performed your promise. Than sighed Sir Palamides. I will that ye wait, that I will have your queen to lead her and to govern her, whereas me list. Therewith the king stood still and and unbethought him of Sir Tristramus, and deemed that he would rescue her. And then hastily the king answered and said, Talk here to, the, to thee, and the adventures withal that will fall of it, for, as I suppose, thou wilt not enjoy her no while. As for that, said Sir Palamides, I dar reeked well abide the adventure. And so, to make short tal, Sir Palamides took her by the hand and said, Madam, grudge not to go with me, for I desire nothing but your own promise. As for that, sighed the queen, weet you well, I fear not greatly to go with thee, howbeit thou hast me at advantage upon my promise, for I doubt not I shall be worshipfully rescued from thee. As for that, said Sir Palamides, be as hit be my. Okay, Tarlonio is an unbethought, a pretty awesome word. I mean, come on, that's an awesome word. Um, oops, sorry. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so, um, uh, and, but David and Tarlonio are both commenting on this word. I'm not sure I fully understand that construction either. Um, the un, is a bethought I get. Right. You know, he bethought himself. Uh, bethought is a kind of reflexive construction. Right. Um, like, you know, you bethink yourself very often. Right. That is like to to think twice about something, to uh, 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 to think within yourself. Right. Um, but unbethought. I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the un accomplishes there. Uh, not really. Not, uh, it's it's. <laughs> but I like it, right? I'm not sure I get it, but I like it. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. So my question, what's he doing, Palamides? Tell me what is Palamides' plan? What's he after here? What's his, what's his, what's his play? What's his what's his big picture here? What do you think? And Karita, you are so right. King Mark is not a great king, and he's not a great husband, right? But notice what he is, right? He's he's got a fairly high level of low cunning, right? Uh, king Mark is reasonably good at uh calculating like uh you know sort of uh uh, uh how, how things are going to turn out right 
Um, yeah, yeah, I think um, uh, Carita and Francis uh, and Zach, that's exactly how I read it too. King Mark is thinking, okay, he's asked for my wife, Isode. On the one hand, that's incredibly rude, right? I mean, that's amazingly presumptuous uh, and an insult, not only to me personally, because uh, it's my wife, but to the Cornish throne, right? I mean, this is, uh, <clears throat> this is seriously bad. But here's King Mark saying, ah, but he has dug his own grave, right? Because I know Sir Tristram is going to go after him, right? This is where having the greatest knight in your land, having uh, an invested adulterous interest in your own wife comes in handy, right? Um, when you know he's not going to let him get away with this right? So why should King Mark try to resist this, especially since, of course, he's on shaky legal ground? Palamides has is owed granted him, right? So he would have to make his wife break her promise in order to annul this, right? And that would be tricky at the very least. He would lose face. She would certainly lose face, right? So, um, so he's like, hey, no, this is great. The, for, as far as he's considering, concerned, this is like a win-win proposition, right? Uh, besides which, he doesn't seem to be all that attached to his wife anyhow. Um, so I'm going to leave the queen to be rescued by Sir Tristram. That's going to be great. But I certainly think that, um, again, Zach and Carita and Francis are completely correct. Uh, that's Palamides' plan all along, right? Um and I think you can hear that in his answer, right? Um, King Mark is trying to be all ominous, right? Talk here to thee and the adventurers that with all, uh, the adventurers with all that will fall of it, right? Yes, take her and get what else is going to come to you that goes along with her, right? It's a package deal and you're not going to like the rest of it, I think, right? And Palamides says, as for that, Idar reeked well abide the adventure, right? He's like, oh, oh, I'm ready for the adventure that comes with it, right? Now, remember, we have a model for this, right? Mallory likes doing this kind of thing. What's our model? What, what prepares us for this? See, we might be tempted to just, especially knowing Palamides' history, Right. I mean, he was all besotted with his ode before. So if we just had that, we might be tempted to read this as be like, you know, he's just still like drooling all over his ode. So he comes in and he's like, ha ha, you know, and now I've promised, you know, I've made her, I've maneuvered her into a place where she has to promise to go away with me. So hooray. Now I have the lady of my desires that I've been stalking. Right. Um, that, uh, um, you know, that, that, would seem like a, a fairly compelling, like, do, do you need to look any further uh, for the explanation? Um, but, um, but yeah, no, that's not it, of course. We have a model, right? Um, Sir Bleoberus and Sir Seguarides' wife, remember. Remember when Sir Bleoberus comes into the court, and we looked at this last week, um, just trying to stir up trouble, right? 
Uh, King, grant me anything I ask for. Hey, great. I would like the choice of lady. I'd like to take the most beautiful lady of the court and just ride off with her, right? And clearly he's doing this. He doesn't have any intentions towards the lady, how he treats her and where, where even when she chooses to go with him, right? Remember Sir Blayabra, I mean, they give her the choice. Do you want to go with Tristram or do you want to stay with Sir Bleabras? And she's like, heck, I'm staying with Sir Bleabras because Sir Tristram's a jerk. Um, what is Sir Bleabras' response? You know, he's not like, sweet, free damsel, right? There we'll go. Okay, not a damsel technically at that time. Free lady, right? No, that's not his response. Um, he's like, oh gosh, that's awkward. And he drops her off at like the nearest nunnery he can find, right? So he was not interested in the lady. He was clearly stirring up trouble um uh in order to get somebody he you know he chose the most beautiful lady of the court thinking that the most uh, accomplished knight of the court therefore likely was going to come charging after him and he could he could fight him right clearly that's palamides goal as well but it's much more targeted than that he knows full well who's going to come riding after him who knows better than palamides right palamides is at least as familiar with this as as King as King Mark is right, Palamides has a longer history with Tristan and Isolde than uh, than than King Mark does, right? So he knows precisely what adventure is going to come to him. In fact, even I think that you can even hear a trace of irony in Palamides' words when he says, "I doubt well abide the adventure." Right? It's not an adventure. He knows precisely what he has made a venture, not an adventure. Right? He's not taking an adventure. Um, and uh, she, Isode goes in for ominous speeches too, right? Uh, not exactly ominous. She like is making promises, right? Um, I doubt not I shall be worshipfully, worshipfully rescued from thee, right? Um, I'm not worried to go with you because I'm going to be home pretty soon because somebody's going to come along and mop the floor with you, right? As for that, be as hit be my. Now, Veronica brings up the point, of course, remember Palamides had his oath. Palamides had his oath. Right? Tristram made him swear not to aspire after the love of La Belle Isode again. Um, however, Veronica, is he breaking his oath? Ah, see, therein lies the cunning of Sir Palamides' plan. He's not broken his oath. Is he wooing his oath? Right? Is he expressing, has he expressed an iota of love for her? No. He is still abiding by the oath that he made to Sir Tristram. Right? So, again, it's a touchy situation. Palamides clearly wants a rematch. He is obviously spoiling for a rematch with, with Sir Tristram. So why doesn't he just come in and challenge Sir Tristram? Because it's kind of a jerk move, right? It's the same with Sir Blabras. If Sir Blabras comes into the court and is like, hey, are any of you knights competent in here? Could Whoever's most competent, could you come forward? I want to beat you up. Let's fight. Right. You can do that. You can go in and challenge knights. But again, but it's kind of a jerk move. Like the really good knights don't act that way. But you can kind of get around it just being aggressive and going out. And I mean, it's it's, it's not like a you need an excuse. Right. Um, you know, like a, like a really good excuse, like I'm guarding this ford and I you want to cross this ford, so let's fight to the death. Like that's a good excuse. Um, whereas, like, hey, uh, I'm feeling belligerent, so I want to fight you. Like I'm riding into your court and saying 
for absolutely no reason out of the blue, let's fight. Um, Palamides has nothing to complain of. I said at the time that I thought that Tristram's treatment of him was kind of harsh, especially the swearing and making him swear to bear no arms for a year and a day. Um, and the whole like stop loving is owed is hard. I, I mean, it's tricky, but you know, whatever Tristram kind of won. So I guess he can do that. Um, but it was a little harsh, right? But yet not so harsh that Palamides has like lawful reason for a grudge match, right? This is not a like you killed my brother kind of situation where he can come back and say, oh, like I am here to, you know, he can't accuse Sir Tristram of, you know, treason or of, uh, you know, treacherous deeds of any kind or, um, you know, uh, acting in unknightly fashion or, or murder or anything. I mean, he's got nothing to accuse him of. If he wanted to appeal him, right? If he wanted to come in and and, and say, you know, you are no good so-and-so, right? And you've done these horrible things and I'm going to prove it on your body. That's totally fine, right? Completely justified. But again, good guys don't just waltz into other people's courts and say like, okay, bring it. Let's do this now for no obvious or justifiable reason. Um, so he creates a situation and it's a situation which is, really it's clever and it's pointed right you told me i can't love his oath well i'm not i'm not loving her right i haven't expressed but i'm riding off with her right i've created a situation where i'm taking his oath away from you right and you've got to come get her back now you have to be the aggressor right and 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 take her back from me um it's brilliant he's not broken his oath he's not broken his oath and yet tristram knows like he's kind of you know it's it's not even exactly breaking the spirit of the oath, um, but uh, but certainly the message is going to be pretty clear, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, and Michelle, I totally agree with you. Both Mark and Palamides are using Isote here. She's absolutely the instrument of both of their plans. Um, uh, and Michelle, I think you're right. Again low cunning right for king mark M michelle points out it's not just that king mark thinks that he's safe letting his queen go because he knows tristram is going to get her back so you know it's a pretty low risk thing for him to be oh yeah okay fine whatever take his oath away she'll be back tomorrow i know because tristram's going to come riding in and rescue her but michelle i think is absolutely right to point out hey Sir Palamides has a pretty good reputation, right? I mean, he's top five, so maybe he'll win. Oh, double bonus, right? I mean, to lose my wife, but get Sir Tristram killed? Okay, you know, would Mark be willing to pay that? I think Mark would be willing to pay that, right? So for King Mark, uh, Michelle, I think as you're, as you're implying that this is a win-win situation, right? King Mark is like, this is beautiful. Uh, now I've got this situation where one of two things is gonna happen right? Either Tristram is going to bring her back and then no harm done and everybody saves face and, you know, and, and this guy who insulted me gets what's coming to him or Sir Tristram dies. Bonus, right? So absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, and Karina, it does seem, I, I, I agree with, now, one thing that's a little bit less clear at this point, we don't know what Palamides is thinking and feeling, right? Does Palamides still love La Belle Isode? I think, I, I suspect he does. 
But that's not the issue here. And it's certainly not, I think, the primary thing in Palamides' mind. Though again, notice how Palamides has also created something like a win-win situation. If Tristram beats him, it's not a win situation, right? So, I mean, he he, he can lose. Unlike Mark, he can lose. Um, however, it's... Uh, I, so I guess it's not exactly a win-win situation for Palamides, for Palamides as it is double or nothing, right? Uh, he either gets his revenge on Tristram and to keep his ode, right? Because if he wins, right, he's got his ode, right? And she's got to stay with him. So he's like, hey, so now, like, I'm off, you know, me and my love, whom I'm not officially supposed to love, but, you know, I kind of maybe do in secret. And anyway, so now we're going to go off and it's going to be awesome. Um, field trip. Right, road trip with my with my uh, love who doesn't love me back, but that's okay. Um, and uh, at least you know, give me lots of time to try to talk her around. And I defeat my arch rival, right? Or I lose everything. But anyway, you know, it was uh, uh, it was it was it was uh, uh, still well played, right? The whole thing, uh, the best opportunity he's going to have to make all of his dreams come true, right? And to uh, win back all of the uh, the you know to recover from the shame that he suffered when Tristram defeated him. <laughs> Duller stroke, I agree. It was like winning the rash vow lottery. It really was. Finding Brangwine tied to a tree is like the best thing that ever happened to Sir Palamides, right? Um, yeah. Now, uh, Rachel, but I don't want to lose the point that you were making before, right? That um, Isode. All the men around her, Rachel says, seem to be obsessed with Sir Tristram rather than with her. Yeah. Um, you know, Rachel, in some ways, I don't know. I'm not sure that Sir Palamides doesn't actually, uh, 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 is, doesn't actually uh, sort of uh, love her even better than most of the rest of the boys here but um anyway um but nevertheless it's certainly true that he is using her also so um yeah okay so you're right zach there's love potion for that all all, all he needs is to find uh uh you know somebody who can pull a little nigromancy and make up a, a a love potion for him and then he'd be all set right should everything pan out uh sadly of course it's not actually going to pan out for him but it's a great plan Okay, so let's see how the plan proceeds. So Palamides meets a, a series of other knights, right? So first we've got the Tristram's off, right? Because Tristram's hunting. Let's not forget, remember, Sir Tristram is the, he like invented hunting, right? So he's, he hunts all that. That's what he does. Like if he's not, if he's not, I mean, okay, he has actually, I guess, quite a spectrum of activities, right? If he's not harping or beating up other people or committing adultery, uh, then he's hunting, right? So, okay, I guess four things. So he divides his time. Uh, well, he's got a busy social calendar, but he's hunting a lot, right? So he's off hunting when Sir Palamides shows up. So uh, it's sort of um, uh, a little bit awkward. Um, so uh, Sir Lombagus, uh, who is his uh, one of Sir Tristram's you know, like junior assistants uh, uh, there in the court um, goes uh, <laughs> exactly, Josiah, among the activities that Sir Tristram pursues are such diverse elements as. Um, yes. Anyway, so, okay. So 
so Sir Lambegas comes after Sir Palamides and Palamides practically almost kills him, right? Uh, and then, uh, uh, but during the fight, Isode runs away, right? So, okay. So Thon and Thon, they hurtle together and all to brast their spears. And Thon, they pull it out their sweaters and hew it on their helmets and hauberkes. And at the last, Sir Palamides gaffed Sir Lambegas such a wound that he fell down like a dead man to the earth. Then he look after La Belle Isode, and then she was gone, he wast not where. Oh, where did you, where did you, he did, left his lady right there, and he turns around and she's gone. Weet you well that Sir Palamides was never so heavy. So the queen ran into the forest, and there she found a well, and therein she had thought to have drowned herself. And as good fortune wold, there come a knight to her that had a castle there beside, and his nom was Sir Adtherp. And one he found the queen in that mischief, he rescued her and brought her to his castle. And when he wist what she, when he, when he wist what she was, he armed him and took his horse and said he wold be avenged upon Sir Palamides. Okay, so she is in the middle. Of I know it's super Arthur I know right it's super super hard not to make jokes about back pain uh, with Sir Lambegas I mean it's just yeah that's uh that's <laughs> it's really tough it is I know but anyway uh, I totally I totally hear you there anyway okay so La Belle Zode is in the middle of committing suicide right um. I, I don't think this is just she had thought to a, like she was standing there contemplating suicide, right? Um, the phrasing later on that when Adtherp had found the queen in that mischief, he rescued her, right? Um, she is in mischief. And I think she's like in the water when he comes in. Like she is in mischief. She, she's in she is in, in danger of her life such that him. Him taking her is rescuing. I don't think this. I, I don't think this is a merely psychological rescuing, right? That he rescues her from the suicidal ideations in which he caught her, right? I, I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, I think it's a sopping wet, actively suicidal queen that he's bringing back to his nearby castle, only to discover that this is in fact his queen that he has brought back. That's why when he discovers what she was, not just who she was, right? But what she was, oh, you're the queen of Cornwall, right? And that guy made off with you from the court, right? Um, and he's had enough of it, right? And he's gonna go and be avenged upon Sir Palamides. So things start to go astray with Sir Palamides' grand plan here as soon as La Belle Isode, uh runs off, which is a, a fairly plucky piece of initiative uh, on the part of La Belle Isode. Um, uh, um, Tarlonia was just talking about how terrible Isode's life uh, must be. Um, she says her husband married her out of spite. Her love isn't willing to marry her. Uh, the one guy who does love her and wants to stick by her, she doesn't love, yet not to mention the fact that he you know, uses and manipulates her uh, uh, and carries her off against her will also. So yeah, no, her, her situation, not great. Um, and we see here her desire, her plan, uh, you know, even attempt, in fact, to kill herself. Um, not good. So Adtherp goes after Palamides and Palamides defeats him too, because Palamides is, is a great knight. Um, 
Palamides. So, but remember, she's been taken to his castle. So Palamides defeats Adtherp and comes to the castle. But now, once again, showing a certain degree of pluck, Isode slams the gates of the castle against him, right? So Isode holds the castle against Sir Palamides. And Palamides sits there in the gate of the castle, just like thinking over his life and trying to figure out how this went wrong, right? He's sitting there like, oh my gosh, I won the rash vow lottery. I, everything was all set. And now like, now what's happening here? Um, he is, he sits as one astonished, like he's stunned. Um, he can't even say anything, right? Um, and then this is how Tristram finds him. So Tristram finds him in this moment of weakness and comes up and challenges him. And therewithal, Sir Palamides arose stilly without any any wardis, and got his horse anon and saddled him and bridled him and leakedly he leap upon him and got his spear in his hand and either futured their spears and hurled fast togethers and anon Sir Tristram is smote down Sir Palamides over his horse tile. Then lickly Sir Palamides put his shield before him and drew his sword, and he surely must now be thinking, here we go again. This is just how this happened the last time when I lost. And Thar began strong battle on both parties, for both they fought for the love of own Ladi. Pretty queer. Palamides in his secret heart has not in fact repented of his love. How can he? And ever she lie on the wallas and beheld them. I don't think she's literally lying down. She's not reclining, I think, on the walls. Uh, but she's up on the walls and she's watching them. Um, uh, right. And beheld them how they fucked out of measure. And either were wounded passing sore, but Sir Palamides was much sorer wounded. For they fought thus trussing and traversing more than two hours, that well nigh for dole and sorrow la bellisode sounded, and sighed, Alas, that on I loved, and yet do, and the other I love not, that they should fight. And yet it were great pity that I should see Sir Palamides slime, for well I know, by that the end be done, Sir Palamides is but a dead man, because that he is not christened, and I would be loth he should die a Saracen. And therewithal she calmed down and besocked him for her love to feet no more. Now, this, of course, is a very serious concern. She has great pity for Palamides, not because she loves him, not because he's kind of growing on her, because he's not, right? You know, she, she hates to see these two fighting, even though she's like, notice how she sets this up almost like, oh, these two that I love, oh, that they should fight each other, except that's not what she says, right? She's like, this one that I loved and yet do love, which is an interesting construction, um, and the other I don't love, uh, that they should fight. So, okay, why is it alas that the one that you love and the one that you don't love should fight? Like, don't you, aren't you, don't you have a clear rooting interest when the one that you love and the one that you don't love fight each other? Um, but anyway, her problem is uh, not that she doesn't want Tristram to win or that she's not really confident in uh, who she's rooting for. No, her problem is that she doesn't want to see Sir Palamides slain and she knows Tristram's going to kill him. Um, 
so and then this of course is a big this is a this is a huge issue right sir palamides is still a saracen he is not christened right so and as he is not a christian he's not been baptized if he dies he will certainly go to hell and that is what she does not want to have on her conscience which she doesn't want to see happen to palamides she doesn't want to see sir sir palamides slain not because she likes him because she is not really into him but because she does not want to have his eternal soul on her conscience remember he was offering to become christened for her sake remember that when he was professing his love for her back in ireland he was going to convert to catholicism in order to marry her and um she said no right uh or kind of said no didn't fully get a chance i guess to respond before tristram beat him up and made him promise to go away um but she seemed to be wholly behind that maneuver um but she doesn't want him to die a Saracen. Um, now let's see, Dolores Stroke is asking about the syntax. Let's see. Um, that on I love it and yet do, and the other I love not, that they shall feed. Um, Yeah, Lee points out that that construction, the one I loved and yet do, um, suggests that her original love has not continued totally uninterrupted and unchallenged. Yeah, I mean, it may just be a kind of an elaborate way to say the one that I love and have always loved. Conceivably, it could mean that, right? I mean, in a sense, that seems to be what it means. But Lee, I agree. It, it does seem like that would be a good way to uh to read it that um um her love has weathered a great challenge and survived in new form um yeah lee i wonder if this has to do with the love potion is it supposed to be a reference to the love potion um you know i loved him before when he was tram trist, right and i thought he was just this really cute harper and then i you know discovered that he was the enemy of my family um uh and the, but then you know you know and i kind of made that offer and said i wouldn't marry anybody else and then you know kind of inviting him and then my dad was kind of leaning on him and then he was like no i want you to marry my uncle and she was like okay fine i guess we're going there and then uh but, but then love potion right so um certainly there has been um irregularities right uh in their relationship um Lee, one of the hard things I find with this is that that description, um, that is, I used to love you and now I also love you again, essentially, right, seems much clearly, much more clearly true of Tristram. Right? I mean, he he like had the whole fling with Sir Seguardes, his wife, in the interim, right? Uh, so, um, but it it's one of the reasons why it's tempting to read this as kind of reflecting that, in a sense, right? Um, we were together, then we weren't, now we are again, um, certainly, I think is at least, a, at least a potential, um, reading of that passage. All right, let's keep going. So, Sir Palamides, he's spared, 
right? So he's he's spared, but uh, his game didn't work out, and he ended up losing. So double or nothing, and he ends up with nothing. The story of Sir Palamides in a nutshell. The tragic story of Sir Palamides. Um, don't worry. There's going to be much more Sir Palamides. Okay. Now we go back to Cornwall, and now we have the active intrigue. This is another one of those examples of what I was discussing last week, those... Um, work with me on this because it's going to be important later. You know, that like, we're again, we're laying the blueprints for how tragedy of this kind happens, right? Um, why is it that, well, well, I was read the passage first. Van Sir Tristram is let fetch home Sir Lambegus, his knecht, from the forester's house, and it was long or he was whole, but so at the last he recovered. Phew, I know I was worried about Sir Lambegus. And thus they lived with joy and play a long while. Um, that might be referring to Sir Lambegus and Sir Tristram, who doubtless did have a great time together. Uh, but I, I assume that it means uh, uh, Tristram and Isode, actually, <laughs> as well. But anyway, whatever. Okay. But ever Sir Andret, that was nigh cousin unto Sir Tristramus, lie in a watch to white betwixt Sir Tristramus and La Bellizode for to tuck him and devour him. So upon a die, Sir Tristramus talked with La Bellizode in a window, and that espied Sir Andred and told the king. Then King Mark took a sword in his hand and come to Sir Tristramus and called him false traitor and would have stricken him. But Sir Tristramus was nigh him and ran under his sword and took it out of his hand. And then the king cried, Where are me knechtes and me men? I charge you, slay this traitor. But at that time, there was not one that would move for his wardes. Yeah, I, I bet there wasn't. Yeah. Attack Sir Tristram, everybody. Oh, okay, King Mark. Sounds like a plan. When Sir Tristram is saw, there was none that would be against him. He shook his sword to the king, and mad countenance as he would have stricken him. And then King Mark fled, and Sir Tristram is followed him, and smote him five or six strokes flatling in the neck, that he mad him fall on the nose. High comedy here, right? Um, this is, I think, the most um, uh, uh, the most uh, ignominious moment for King Mark, right? So uh, let's take one thing at a time. Let's start with Sir Andret. Okay, Sir Andret is nigh cousin to Sir Tristram. Um, why does he? have it out for Tristram, we have no idea. We know, we are told that his goal, Sir Andred's purpose here, is to take Tristram and devour him. Presumably not literally, um, but he, he wants to take down Tristram. Is this envy? Is this, uh, you know, some kind of weird malice? I mean, did they like... Did, you know, Tristram embarrass him at the family picnic? I, you know, when they were kids, I don't know what Andret's deal is. Um, and we're not given any indication. Notice there is no hint um, about whether or not Andret is 
like what his motivation is apart from malice against Tristram. It's like pure malice apparently against Tristram. Like that is to say, we don't get any indication of like patriotism. Like, you know, I can't stand to sit by and watch, you know, Sir Tristram, my cousin, make a fool out of our monarch, right? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, spit in the eye of all faithful, you know, Cornish folks. Like, that would be a reason, right? That would be, you know, that would be something. We're not given that, right? Leah's wondering if devouring Tristram's might involve taking his goods, lands, or inheritance. It absolutely could mean that. It could be simple greed, I suppose, um, that he wants to... Uh, he could be heir to Tristram, right? So if he can get Tristram executed, then he'll uh, uh, inherit um, Tristram's lands. Possibly Tristram is a king's son, let's not forget, right? And I don't know for sure, um, Zach, if this means that Andred is related to Mark II. I can't remember from the sources which side he, I think he is connected to King Mark. Of course, if he's connected to King Mark, he wouldn't then be heir to Tristram's kingship, which is from his father's side, the side that's not connected to King Mark. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not not really. Again, we, we, we just get one word to try to guess uh, what this means. Notice one clear thing, though. If there's one thing that we can see very clearly, it is Mallory does not care what Andred's motivation is, right? He has taken no pains at all uh, to explain why Andred is doing what he's doing. So in as much as we invest effort trying to figure out, like, what's Andred's problem? Like, like let's put Sir Andred, you know, on the, on the, you know, the psychoanalyst's couch and try to figure out what his issues are. That's, on, that's totally us, right? We're not uh, uncovering uh, you know, a sort of an essential element of the story. Uh, we're we're trying to <laughs> please ourselves, essentially. Mallory not showing uh, the least bit of interest uh, in uh, in that question. Um, now, where he captures them is in, and Tarlonio, I have to agree with you. Um, the quite shocking, indeed disturbing act of talking to her in a window. Now, how are we supposed to react to this? I cannot help but think that, I mean, look, this is not exactly catching them in flagrante, right? I mean, like that, um, ideally, if you're laying a trap of this kind and you want to get Tristram executed for treason, you want to catch them naked in bed together. That's that's really kind of the smoking gun, you know? Um, so I do think that one reaction that we're supposed to have here is that this is, this is, this is weak, right? This is weak, weak evidence. Um, this is not, I think, a fully this is not a shocking offense. However, I don't think it's totally arbitrary either. This is not like um, a completely fabricated case either, right? You know, Tristram isn't just being framed for something. Um, can anybody um, can anybody explain this? 
the window, talking at the window. Why, why would that even be, I forget, big deal, a deal of any kind, right? Uh, why, why would this be any kind of deal um, that, they're, that he catches them talking at a window? Why is everyone's response not, so what? Anybody have any idea? <laughs> Mighty Felix is suggesting maybe they were talking about something treasonous. I kind of like that idea, right? Like uh, uh, seditious intentions, right? It's not the situation. It's the fact that they were like, uh, you know, saying seditious things about Mark. I find that kind of appealing, uh, especially if it was uh, uh, imagining Isode, you know, saying seditious things is is particularly sort of fun. But um Veronica and Stephen, yeah, I think that's got to be the answer. This is her bedroom window, right? This is her private chamber, the Queen's private chamber. This is kind of a big deal, right? Um, so if he is, uh, let's see, what is the exact phrase there? Um, he talked with La Bellisode in a window. Um, pres I Presumably, I don't think this is like she's on the third story and he's down in the garden and calling up to her and she's like, hi. Um, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is a ground level window. And I think that um, he is talking to her in the window. Like he's leaning portions of his person in the window and having conversation with her, which could possibly be scammed. But in any case, like uh, he is coming, he is even only some, right? Even if only like the top part of him uh, is coming into her private chamber. And that's, you can't do that. Like that's, you know, her, her, uh, uh, her chamber, her bedroom is kind of sacrosanct. Uh, another guy is not, she's not allowed to have another guy in there. Um, so now, like I said, I do think that this is still, it's not quite a technicality. I mean, there's a little bit of juice there, but it's, it's, I get, this is not the smoking gun, right? This is not, uh, this is not really a hanging offense. It could be a scandal potentially, right? Under other circumstances, but not exactly, um, uh, not exactly a hanging offense. So I think that what we have here is Andrew, look, is, is again, obviously Andrew is looking for an excuse and King Mark is ready to seize any excuse that he's given. Right. And I think also we can hear in that um, there because there are two reasons. Right. Why nobody else in the court is eager to go and attack Sir Tristram here. Right. Remember, first, yes, of course, he's the second best knight in the world. So that's a good reason by itself not to go and attack him. But also remember the other thing that they everybody cares about a great deal. Right. Is who is in the right in a particular quarrel. Um, and I think they are in some doubt here, right? Was he actually committing treason? Is he a traitor? He's been appealed. He's been accused of treason by the king here, but is he guilty actually, right? Um, cause if he's not, if he's not, if we're going to attack the second best knight in the world and we're in the wrong, we are so hosed, like it is not even funny, right? I mean, that is, uh, that is, the, I mean, you might as well be, you know, a red shirt on an away mission if that's your plan, right? Um, so it is no wonder 
that no Cornish knight in the court wants to have anything to do with this. So King Mark takes matters into his own hand. And I love the description. Uh, notice the detailed swordplay description, how King Mark hacks down at him and Sir Tristram comes in under his guard and neatly disarms him. Then Sir Tristram, I'm sure, was not lost on, on, on many of you, pulls a Turin Turin bar, right? And chases him around with the... Uh, uh, ch chases him around with the flat of the blade uh, in order to humiliate, deliberately, it seems, in order to humiliate him. Um, and uh, that's Blue Wizard. I think it's, is it, I believe it's uh, in regard to this that you were saying you definitely can't imagine Lancelot acting in this way. Um, yeah, I can't imagine Sir Lancelot doing that either. Um, does King Mark deserve it? Yeah, is it satisfying to see him take five or six strokes flatling in the neck and falling on his nose? Yeah, I couldn't happen to a nicer guy, but um, it's uh, it's a little questionable uh, the way that uh, Tristram acts here, I think, no question. Um, a later incident. Tournament, and notice how Again, we have, now this is an interesting one because this is another scene where Sir Tristram is being made directly parallel to Lancelot, but this time the situation is one that we have already seen. So instead of setting up later scenes with Sir Lancelot that I keep telling you, like I'm drawing attention to these scenes because I, I'm, I'm telling you like this stuff, is, hang on to this stuff because it's going to be relevant later on, right? Um, here's one which is relevant to one that we've already seen, right? The situation, King Mark is, you know, on one side of a tournament and there's another knight on the other side who's doing great, right? Who's having himself a day. Sir Lamarack in this case, instead of Sir Gareth, like the Sir Lancelot situation. Uh, and the king, who's just thinking of winning, tells his champion, Sir Tristram in this case, go take down Sir Lamarack, right? Just as King Arthur asked Lancelot to take down Sir Gareth. Um, sir, sighed Sir Tristramus, meseemeth it were no worship for a nobleman to have ado with him, and for this cause, for at this time he hath done over much for any mean knick living. And as meseemeth, sighed Sir Tristramus, it were sham to tempt him any more, for his horse is weary, and himself both, for the deed is of Aramis he hath done this die. Well considered, it were he know for Sir Lancelot du Lac. I mean, that's how well Sir Lance, Sir Lamarack has done this day. As for that, sighed King Mark, I require you, as ye love me and my laddie, the Queen La Bellisode, tack your armies and just with Sir Lamarack de Gallus. That's, um, that's dirty pool, right? I mean, clearly. I require you as you love me and my lady the queen la belle Isode. so he knows tristram it's tristram can't refuse to do things in the name of his lady right he's 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 just explained much like in fact with much the same rationale though less fullness um uh than uh lancelot did tristram has just explained exactly this tristram has the same impulse as lancelot right no 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 no, no, no. i'm not gonna do that that'd be horrible Right. Let him have his day. Um, 
and Mark insists, like Arthur didn't insist, right? But Mark does insist and invokes the name of his lady, uh, his own wife, right? To, um, for him to go after him. Um, Sir, sighed Sir Tristramas, ye bid me do a thing that is against Knichthod, and well I can think that I shall give him a fall, for it is no mastery, for my horse and I be fresh, and so is not his horse and he. And wit you well that he will talk it for a great unkindness, for ever own good Knicht is loath to talk another at a vantage. But because I will not dis displease as ye require me, so I must do and obey your commandment. Tristram says, you, you require me to do it. I, I've got no choice, right? He's, he does it under protest. Like this is, this is, he's going to take this for great unkindness. This is not going to turn out well. Of course, I'm going to beat him. That's no great mastery, right? I'm fresh and so is my horse and he and his horse are all tuckered out. Of course, I'm going to win, right? What does that prove? Um, and he's going to be pretty mad because he knows that I'm taking unfair advantage of this. So you're making me look bad. You're making him upset. And, uh, but you require me to do it. Remember, Lancelot, under the same circumstances, flatly refused. Now, Arthur didn't push him the same way that Mark does. So both uh, Lance, Lancelot was more resolute than Tristram, and Arthur was less unkind, um, less resolute in his uh, rash and, and, uh, and unknightly impulse, right? Um, sort of, in, our, in Arthur's case, it seems sort of over-competitive, right? Um, but um, Tristram, though he does it under protest, he does it. Um, notice one of the effects of this here, right? We see Tristram and Lancelot are, in one sense, almost two peas in a pod, right? Similar values, mostly. Um, a similar sense of you know nobility and what is due to knighthood there you know tristram is is a good guy um much like lancelot but not quite as good lancelot's not willing to compromise he won't do it um even when arthur asks him um tristram says all the right things but does the wrong thing anyway um uh, now, again, it's easy to blame Tristram for this. He's in a tight place. His king has required him, right? And required him in the name of the lady that he loves. So it's, it's again, unquestionably a tight place for Sir Tristram to be in. But it's hard to not come away from this thinking he didn't quite, you know, he, he you know, A minus Tristram, you know, A minus. Um, Lancelot, I think, would have aced that one. Uh, and you got an A minus. Um, Sir Lamorak takes it amiss. It's pretty mad, right? Uh, gets knocked off his horse, demands that Sir Tristram dismount and fight him on foot, and Tristram refuses, right? No, no, no. He's like, this is his compromise. I'll Tristram's compromise, right? I'll knock him off his horse, which of course I'm gonna knock him off his horse, uh, but I I'm not gonna fight him. On foot. I'm going to refuse to fight him on foot. And he tells me, he tries to tell him nice things, right? He's like, oh, no, see, I'm sorry. It wasn't my idea. And I just, I don't want to, seriously, I don't want to beat you, right? So, which, of course, 
is kind of insulting to Sir Lamarack, right? He was like, I don't want to, you know, just come down there and embarrass you, right? Come on, who wants me to embarrass you, right? You don't want me to embarrass you, do you? So, I mean, it, which is, of course, insulting. So, Sir Lamarack is not pleased by uh, uh, Tristram's refusal uh, anymore, you know, than he was pleased by the uh, being knocked off his horse in the first place. Um, but Lamarack's response is not uh not good not good um so he departed from him that's lamarack is departing uh with sir Driant. and by the way they met with a knight that was sent from dame morgan le fay unto king arthur and this knight had a fire horn harnessed with gold and the horn had such a virtue that there make no laddie nor their gentlewoman drink of that horn but if she were true to her husband and if she were false she should spill all the drink uh okay and if she were true to her lord she make drink thereof peaceably and because of the queen guinevere and in the despite of sir launcelot this horn was sent unto king arthur and so by force sir lamarack mad that knight to tell all the cows why he barred the horn and so he told him all whole no shalt thou bear this horn sighed sir lamarack unto king mark other chose to die for in the despite of sir tristramas thou shalt bear hit him that horn and sigh that i sent it him for to assay his laddie and if she be true he shall prove her so this knight went his way unto King Mark, and broke him that rich horn, and sighed that Sir Lamarack sent it him. And so he told him the virtue of that horn. Then the king mad his queen to drink thereof, and an hundred laddies with her. But there were but four lad, and there were but four laddies of all foe that drank clean. Alas, said King Mark, this is a great despite, and swore a great oath that she should be Brent and the other laddies also. Okay. Um, <laughs> Stephen wants to know, what if she's true but clumsy? <laughs> That's a bad day to fumble the cup. Yeah. So um, uh, I, he's going to burn them all at the stake, Stephen. Yeah, he's going to burn the lot of them. I'm going to, I'm going to burn all 96 ladies of the court 97 i guess including la belle Isode. um i'm gonna burn them all to death um yeah exactly mighty felix it's a magic adulterous detector uh that's uh, precisely what morgan lefay uh uh has uh is sending to to arthur's court here now notice this sort of cunning thing yeah and i see that uh dolorous joke and tarlonio thinking the same thing right you know uh, make a horn for the men and have them drink yeah yeah that, that would also presumably be a bit of a problem um however that isn't the point right um and that's important right the whole point of course is she's targeting guinevere um because she wants to prove guinevere untrue so it's, it's not about the men um because she doesn't have to prove the men unfaithful um anyway okay so what lamarack does is mean right notice the situation that mark is in mark has this horn sent to him 
what's he going to do? He can't not have them. I mean, it's been presented publicly before the court, right? Um, you know, here's this horn that if any wife drinks out of it uh, and is not true to her Lord, then, you know, the wine will dribble all over. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, he can't refuse, right? King Mark can't just refuse because to do so would basically be to say like, well, I know my wife is not faithful to me, but uh, I don't want that publicly proven. Right. And yet it is publicly proven and he knows it's going to be publicly proven. So the making of it public is just embarrassing for everybody involved. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is um, notice the uh, one other factor here is that this is another situation which is trying to maneuver its clear and objective right evidence about the affair of Tristram and Isolde. One thing to keep in mind here. And this is another thing that was emphasized, or I think comes into question at the whole talking to her through the window scene. Remember I've been saying, I was saying before anyway, with Lancelot and Guinevere, the love between the queen and the knight, who is not her husband, is totally okay up to a certain point, right? And that certain point is they can't sleep together. That's it. That's it. That's the point at which it becomes not a big deal. Or uh, when it becomes, when it ceases to be not a big deal is what I mean to say. So if the, unless they're sleeping together, it's okay. It's okay that everybody knows Tristram is devoted to La Belle Isode, right? That's not been a secret, right? The only question is, are they sleeping together? And again, remember that whole question about like there, yeah, they were talking, he was like, you know, talking familiarly at her chamber window that looks bad, but um, doesn't prove anything. Um, this would seem to prove it, right? Untru that Because that is clearly what untrue to her Lord means. It doesn't mean, does she love somebody else? It means, is she sleeping with somebody else? Is she chaste? And I use that word chastity because that word is very often misunderstood. Um, chaste, chastity is not the same thing as virginity. Um, if you're unmarried, they're the same thing, right? Um, you, uh, you are to be you are to abstain from sex before marriage and you are to only have sex with your spouse after marriage. If you are faithful to both of those things, you are chaste. A chaste wife has sex with her husband, right? That's part of chastity. In fact, if you're married, right? Um, uh, so this is a test of chastity. And it, it's, I, and I think it's pretty clear. This is not, it's not about the spirit of the thing. It's not about, um, it's not about, 
where your heart is. It's about who you're sleeping with. Um, when people talk about being true to her husband, it means being true to her vows, like her wedding vows, um, being true to uh, the um, uh, the sacrament of marriage. Because keep in mind, we're still Catholics here, right? Pre-Reformation, marriage is a sacrament. Uh, like the Eucharist, like baptism, marriage is a sacrament. And if you violate that, if you are untrue to that sacrament, um, it's a it's a big deal. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Dora Stroke, I agree. Strictly speaking, it only proves that she was unfaithful. Doesn't absolutely implicate Tristram, right? But admittedly, it looks pretty bad. Um, yeah. Now, Stephen, we know nothing about the four ladies who passed the test, <laughs> right? There's an obvious joke being made about the fact that 96% of the women who take this test fail, right? And is this a misogynist joke? Yeah. Yeah, this is a misogynistic joke. But I don't think I could be wrong. But I don't think it's purely misogyny that is leading to remember maori has been there's been this tension between the sort of values of courtly love you know sort of traditional courtly love and this higher morality that lancelot has been championing right we've, we've already seen that tension here in the story um Based on what we've seen in with Lancelot's story by itself, it shouldn't surprise us, right? Again, I don't think this is about like, oh, see, look at these loose women all over the place. Because I think that you guys are exactly correct to say that the men would fare exactly as badly on this. And I don't think, I don't get any sense that if that did happen, um, if Maori were to write a scene where the men were to take this test, would they pass it? Would he would he have them pass it any better? No, I don't think so. Again, I don't think this is just a joke about how horrible women are. Um, I think it's um, uh, I, I, I think that this is just about how widespread, which we've seen, right? How widespread the culture of this sort of adulterous love, uh, how normal that is uh, in the in in this society, right? Um, remember the reaction, right? King Mark is like, let's execute, right? Or excuse me, let's excuss, let's excuss uh, everybody, right? All ninety six of the ladies of the court and Carita, uh, you're right. We don't really have that many replacement ladies hanging about. This does seem a hasty resolve on his part. Uh, uh, like what's gonna happen to the next, like is, there, is the nobility of Cornwall gonna go extinct in, in, in a generation after this? Um, uh, yeah, Tolonio, I agree. In this society, everyone's probably looking at the four ladies who passed the test and being like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're such a loser. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's probably true, actually. Um, but um, anyway, um, the response to this is, you know, so when Mark says, I'm going to execute you all, I'm going to... Like, technically, like, okay, like, they've all been, like, convicted, I guess, of committing adultery. If that was a fair trial, they've all been convicted. Um, 
it's kind of in his power to have them all executed, especially as old, because her committing adultery is treason, no, like political treason. No two ways about that. Um, but um, nobody, nobody's down with this, right? You've got like 95 other, you know, uh, cuckolded husbands in the room. And they're all like, uh, yeah, no, this is not okay. Let's not murder everybody. Like, let's, that's not a good solution to this. And notice also, somebody has the brains to point something out. Hey, maybe this is not an objective test. You know, this is a magical item enchanted by Morgan Le Fay and sent to King Arthur's court. Um, obviously with the design of getting Guinevere into trouble and fomenting serious difficulties in King Arthur's court, right? Do we have any reason to believe that this is objectively true, right? Does this actually prove anything? Um, they're like, we know Morgan Le Fay is a wicked sorceress who goes out of her way to destroy people for fun, right? So why would we take essentially her testimony um, by itself as like, you know, convicting evidence against everybody. So it kind of gets uh, thrown out. <laughs> yeah, Dolores Stroke says, you know, we're kind of making execution decisions based on a drinking utensil here. Yeah, yeah, and a drinking utensil sent to the court by a known wicked sorceress. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stephen says if you can't if you can't trust wicked sorceresses, who can you trust? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, James, I, it's it's. I mean, we're not told enough details about the scene. James Stevens is wondering, did anybody other than Mark know the powers of the cup, or was this, uh, you know, like was this done like uh, blind, right? Or uh, did they know what it meant? Um, we're not told that exactly. The details seem kind of public. I, I don't know if he confronted them with it after the fact or or whatever. But um, uh, anyway, yeah. So there are several reasons why. You know, that reason alone is a good reason to kind of throw out the evidence of the magic chastity horn, uh, possibly cursed malicious chastity horn, uh, which might not, in fact, do what it's uh, actually claims to do. But at the same time, I don't actually disbelieve it, um, again, because it seems to be, <clears throat> I don't think that she's claimed it's a magic chastity horn, and in fact, it's just a magic, let's make 96% of women who drink out of it, you know, uh, dribble wine all over themselves so that they get in trouble. It could be like, if, you know, that, that would be a, a method, right, for Morgan Le Fay. Um, but I actually don't really kind of suspect that. And part of me thinks that what we're seeing here is people saying like, dude, like King Mark, get a grip, right? Yeah, okay, they're committing adultery. Like it happens, right? Like get with the culture, man. Uh, you know, like where have you been? Um, seems to be, I mean, again, 95 other cuckolded husbands uh, seem to be, uh, as like, 95 out of 96 cuckolded husbands seem to have no serious problem uh, with the adultery of their wives. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's an interesting moment. Think back for a second, though, to Lancelot and Guinevere. One of the things that this shows clearly is there is doubt what side of the fence Lancelot and Guinevere are playing on, right? Are they doing the safe and appropriate love thing? 
or have they crossed the line? Is their love pure love or have they crossed the line and are they, you know, doing the inappropriate, right? Um, and Morgan Le Fay is pushing on that. Remember the malice of Andret, right? Just somebody who is seeking to uncover in order to bring down Tristram, right? Morgan Le Fay, we know to be trying to bring down Arthur and everybody, right? But that, like, there are those who are malicious who are trying to find evidence to prove that it has crossed the line. We can see, although it's happening in the background, although it's it's sort of off stage, right? We can see that it um, uh, it's it's definitely. Um, one of the issues, right? It's definitely on the table uh, with Lancelot and Guinevere there. Um, <laughs> Stephen Cover points out most of the husbands are okay with it because, well, who do you think the other guy's wives are cheating with? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> that seems that seems pretty pretty pretty, pretty fair. Um, uh, okay. Then in an unexpected turn, Tristram and Isode get married. So remember, Tristram gets wounded and uh, can't get healed. So he has to go and get healed somewhere else. Does that sound familiar? And so he goes to the, the court of this foreign king who has a daughter named Isode who's a really good surgeon and heals his... Stop me if you've heard this before. Who can heal his wounds. Right. Um, and she, in hewing his wounds, falls in love with him because he's a great knight and a hunk and plays the harp. Um, OK, so by the great meanness of the king and his son, there grew great love betwixt Isode and Sir Tristramus, for that laddie was both good and fire and a woman of noble blood and fun. And for because that Sir Tristramus had such cheer and riches and all other pleasants that he had almost forsaken La Belle Isode. And so upon a time, Sir Tristramus agreed to wed this Isode La Blanche Minus. And so at the last they were wedded and solemnly held their marriage. And so when they were abed both, Sir Tristramus remembered him of his old laddie, La Belle Isode. <laughs> Talk about the 11th hour. Right? And then he took such a thought suddenly that he was all dismayed, and other cheer mad he none but with clipping and kissing. And for other fleshly lusties, Sir Tristramus had never ado with her. Such mention mocketh the French book. The French book is explicit on this point. Also, it mocketh mention that the laddie went there had been no pleasure but kissing and clipping. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, <laughs> um, So, well, it's not now Karita. Uh, Karita's saying she'd be really furious if she had married this guy. And then he was like, oh, I actually, I just realized I'm still into my ex. So no sex for you. Sorry. But Karita, that's assuming you know that sex exists, right? Isode LeBlanche Mines is really innocent, right? 
So he does clip her and kiss her, right? There's hugging and smooching involved, right? And so she thinks they've consummated their marriage because she's never clipped and kissed anybody before. So she thinks that kissing is as good as it gets, right? The French book, Carita, is very explicit on this point, right? Uh, Labelle, <laughs> not Labelle Soot. She knows all. She knows. She knows uh, you know about the birds and the bees. But nobody had this talk, right? So <laughs> Isolde Leblanchemans never took high school health class, so she doesn't know anything about this. She's never. She she wasn't made to watch that film, and so she thinks that she has consummated her, her marriage with her husband with the, with the kissing and the and the clipping right um so tristram manfully restrains himself on their wedding night in his marriage bed with his now lawful wife except Notice the loophole. Uh, here's a fun trivia question. Does Sir Tristram marry Isode Le Blanche Minus? Technically, no, he does not. Um, their marriage is not consummated. And just ask Henry VIII if that matters, right? Um, uh, yes, it does. Um, so th it's not a, there's a reason why the fathers of the bride and groom in the cases of royal marriages, especially would usually spectate on the wedding night with or without popcorn, but they would watch it happen. Right. Um, so that somebody could not claim later on that the marriage was not consummated right um uh so um <laughs> yeah. i'm telling you oh boy yes the betting ceremony exactly veronica it's a big deal um so as active as isode leblanchemin's um <laughs> uh uh dad was in uh, bringing about love between them. I mean, obviously he was totally into this marriage concept, right? Um, he drops the ball at the, at the end of the day, right? On the whole consummation thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know Karita, right? Totally a thing to add to your list of reasons. I'm kind of glad I didn't live in the Middle Ages. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, right. It's not, by the way, it's not, that, that didn't happen with everybody. Like it wasn't totally normal for to like sit in the room and watch. Uh, you'd sit outside the door and listen. <laughs> I'm not so not joking. It was it was all it was all good fun. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, I'm not sure what to do with this. The consummation thing. I mean, is Maori trying to get? Tristram off on a technicality here? 
right? Like, is he unfaithful to La Belle Isode? Almost, but not quite. Boy, like, you know, he comes right up to the edge of the cliff, but then, oh, in the nick of time, he backs off into the safety of his quiet and contented adultery. Um, yeah, yeah. Karita, I think that's perfectly fair. <laughs> Karita says, you know, women talk to each other. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, She's uh, not sure that Sir Thomas Mallory is really aware of the kinds of things that would actually, the, co the kinds of conversations that would be going on in the court of ladies here. Um, it sounds to me like uh, Isode Le Blanchemains has uh, lived a fairly sheltered life down there in Brittany. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, um, and I know, you know, if you're trying to support Sir Tristram in his, you know, ups and in, in the vicissitudes of his career here, uh, and if you had gotten as far as forgiving him for the whole Sir Seguarides' wife moment, this is uh, kind of tough, right? A little hard to um, continue to reserve Sir Tristram's bronze bust in the Hall of Fame of Lovers, right? When he not only, as soon as he returns back to Cornwall, starts jaunting off with his other knight's wife, but then while he is still in the midst of his tragical adulterous affair with La Belle Isode, he goes off and marries somebody else. Now, again, this is another technicality, right? In the sense that not only does he technically not marry her, um, also, of course, marriage, I mean, she's married. La Belle Isode is married, right? That doesn't make her unfaithful. So, you know, being married is okay, except this is clearly unfaithfulness on his part, right? And the principles are in no doubts about that. Now, Karita, that's a perfectly fair question. Um, uh, does he does he have to wreck the lives of all the women? Uh, yeah, I can't. I, I, I can't defend Sir Tristram. I just can't. There's really not much to say, Karita, in his defense here. I gotta. I, I have to admit. Um, uh yeah yeah uh, he is not doing any favors to uh Isode uh Le Blanchemains here uh no two ways about that yeah um apart from just kind of making a fool of her um it, it's um uh, not kind but as I say, we don't need to have our own opinions, uh, you know, to just sort of consider our own opinions, our own reactions to Tristram's, uh, like whether or not he technically gets off the hook on a, a charge of unfaithfulness to La Belle Isode. We get some pretty clear indicators uh, from our text here, uh, from, from uh, commentators, right? And the first that we get is Lancelot. Lancelot hears that Tristram has retired to Brittany and married some other chick named Isode. Uh, and he is pretty unequivocal in his condemnation. 
fie upon him, untrue knicked to his laddie, that so noble a knicked as Sir Tristramas is, should be found to his first laddie in love untrue, that is the Queen of Cornwall. But say ye to him thus, said Sir Launcelot, that of all knictes in the world, I have loved him most, and had most joy of him, and all was for his noble deeds. And let him wit that the love between him and me is done forever, and that I give him warning, from this die forth I will be his mortal enemy. Okay, Lancelot, that's pretty clear. Now, one thing to keep in mind, um, how long have Lancelot and Tristram known each other? Trick question. They've never met, right? Never have they actually met um, uh, each other in the flesh before, right? So when Lancelot is talking about that he has loved him most and had most joy of him of all the knights in the world, they've never met, right? When he talks about that, it's like his reputation that he uh, that he loves, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, and all was for his noble deed is, right? He has had joy at just hearing the exploits of Sir Tristram. He's heard a lot of Sir Tristram, right? And he has appreciated everything that he's heard of him, both his prowess in battle, which he, remember his own kin have fought against him, right? Sir Blamor de Ganes, uh and Sir Bleoberus de Ganes have both fought uh, with Tristram and, you know, know his worth. Uh, and then he's heard all of these great stories about things that Tristram has accomplished. Um, even the killing of Sir Mar Marhalt, right? Lancelot's not upset about that, even though Sir Marhalt was a knight of the round table. Uh, it was all good. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he's now he's he's so Tristram has lost his reputation as far as Lancelot is concerned. Now, Catriona, that's a perfectly fair criticism. Catriona says, "How dare he cheat on his adulterous lover with a lawfully wedded wife of his own?" Yeah, I get that. Now, I've been talking about, I've been suggesting that Sir Lancelot's morality, right, is contrary to the traditional morality or alternative morality right of the courtly love system right so everybody else is like two thumbs up to adultery right no problems there what we see with sir seguardi's wife pretty mainstream as we can see from the 96 percent right so um mainstream um on the one hand, Catriona, exactly as you suggest, Lancelot does not fully depart from that. Um, because I agree with you, well, at least here's me sort of putting words in your mouth, Catriona, but um, if, if Lancelot is basically saying, hey, like, come on, everybody, let's embrace good old traditional sexual morality, right? Stop this loving paramours thing. Let's stop the, all the adulterous carryings on. Um, either just like stay unmarried and, 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 you know, remain chaste in your virginity or get married and remain chaste in your marriage. People, come on, how hard is this, right? Um, that's, that's not 
fully anyway Lancelot's point, right? In one sense, he's following the pattern. Notice how open he is about this. Um, that so noble a knight as Sir Tristramus is shall be found to his fierce laddie and love untrue. Now, if you just stopped the sentence there, that would sound fine. He puts a little pressure on it by adding, that is the Queen of Cornwall. Oh, for him to be untrue to his first lady. You know, his uncle's wife and his queen, right? Oh, yeah, boy, boy, that he should be untrue to the legally wedded spouse of his uncle, who is also his reigning monarch, right? I mean, it makes it, that last clause makes it feel kind of weird, right? And it certainly does show Lancelot's fine with that. But again, remember... So Lancelot's the difference for Lancelot. He's not saying, hey, let's stop the loving, right? Knock it off, right? Remain completely celibate until you get married and then focus entirely on your wife and knock all the rest of this stuff off. That's not Lancelot, right? Of course, how could it be Lancelot? He loves Guinevere, right? But it's fine, right? It's fine because it's okay, right? They're not sleeping together, as he is willing to fight to the death to maintain, as we saw during the Book of Sir Lancelot. So Lancelot and Guinevere not sleeping together, so it's fine. I think it's pretty clear from this sentence that Lancelot assumes that Tristram is like him. They've never met. Remember, he's not been to Cornwall, um, possibly in his life, as far as we know. So, um, Lancelot is, uh, seems to be assuming that Tristram and Isolde are following his model, right? Um, but uh, yeah, Sakaya, it does seem that Lancelot hasn't been hearing like from the Andret faction, right? Uh, uh, which is trying to destroy and devour uh, Sir Tristram. Um, so again, Lancelot's alternative sexual morality is not just plain and simple traditional morality. It's like a purified version of the new courtly love morality, right? It is okay for him to love a woman who is not only married to someone else, but is married to his, to Lancelot's own king, right? That's okay for him to be in love and devoted love to his queen as long as they don't sleep together, right? Um, it's okay. It's good. It's a positive thing. And everyone's okay with it, pretty much, right? Arthur's even okay with it. Um, so Lancelot's morality is, again, it's more of a, a middle ground than... Uh, I, just going to the opposite end of this uh, sort of moral pole. Um, so for Lancelot, him going off and getting married, again, if he were just like a, you know, old-fashioned, um, you know, Christian sexual values kind of guy, Lancelot, um, you'd think he'd be all two thumbs up about Sir Tristram going off and finally getting himself lawfully married himself, right? Oh, you found a different unmarried Isode. Good move, 
my man, right? That's good. Leave this whole adulterous situation. That was a mess, right? That was a, that was a mess waiting to happen. Settle down. You've got a, a, a nice wife of your own and it's, and it's fine. And, and, and yes, Karita, explicitly creepy that she has the same name. There is no way around that either. <laughs> but anyway, right. Okay. But he doesn't say that, right? He is not fine with Lance, with Tristram going off and getting married. Also not fine with this is La Belle Isote, of course. Um, and I love this passage. And so in this meanwhile, La Belle Isote made a letter unto Queen Guinevere, complaining here of the untruth of Sir Tristramus, how he had wedded the king as doctor of Bretagne. So Queen Guinevere sent here another letter, and bade her be of good comfort, for she should have joy after sorrow. For Sir Tristramas was so noble a knicked, called, that by crafties of sorcery, laddies would mock such noble men to wed them. But the end, Queen Guinevere sighed, should be thus, that he shall hot her and love you better than ever he did. Okay. Um, uh, Okay, so Guinevere blames the other Isode, right? She has a, a nice positive spin on this to give to La Belle Isode, right? I hear such good things about Tristram. I can't believe he is really such a jerk as that, right? This is probably one of those many cases in which good knights are like ensorcelled by those no good sorceresses who just lie in wait for good knights trying to enchant them into marrying them, right? And in, before you scoff, remember this happened, right? This happened to Tristram's dad. Remember, that's why Tristram is named Tristram. That's why he was born in the forest and his mom died in childbirth in the middle of the woods because his dad was captured by sorcery by a woman who loved him and who wanted to get him to love her in return. But he's like, I'm already married and actually I'm kind of happy with my wife and I'm really not into you. And she's like, I shall keep you my prisoner in my sorceress love bower until you submit. Like, you know, that happens. It happened to Lancelot. I mean, it happens to Lancelot on like a daily basis. Remember, this is why he attacks the dude in the pavilion. Remember the pavilion guy? Because he's like, sorry, I, I have bad experiences with like waking up, you know, in strange beds with strange people. Because um, I assumed it was a sorceress. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Dolores Stroke. I mean, hey, exactly. As Dolores Stroke is reminding us, Guinevere could have added like, hey, La Belle Iso, just be thankful that like she didn't kill him and then, you know, and then spend the rest of eternity cuddling his embalmed corpse. It could be worse. Right. So um, anyway, yeah, it's um, it's. <clears throat> now, notice she's wrong. She's wrong about Tristram. Right. Tristram. like She's like, I can't believe that Tristram would actually just be unfaithful to you. Well, yeah, no, actually he can be, right? In fact, he is. Just as Lancelot was saying, oh, there's no way that, you know, Sir Tristram would, you know, I can't, uh, I, it's, I have a really hard time believing, you know, he, I heard such great things of him. Um, but again, notice how he was implying, he seemed to believe, operating under the impression that Tristram and Isolde were, you know, keeping it above the sheets, right? That they were, um, 
practicing like the Lancelot's legit adulterous love uh, and or again, pure love, which is only sort of technically adulterous, um, which was totally not true. Right. So uh, uh, Tristram and Isolde were not practicing Lancelot and Guinevere's kind of love. They were totally, they totally crossed the line. They were absolutely sleeping with each other. We we're told that explicitly. So Lancelot was wrong about the two of them. Guinevere is wrong. She thinks Tristram can't possibly be guilty and he must be ensorcelled and it must be all the, the girl's fault. Uh, no, it's not, right? In fact, she's just cute, innocent, available, and nice uh, uh, and rich, apparently. So, you know, that's like uh, the complete package uh, and also named Isode, uh, you know, so like there's no risk of like him calling her the wrong name while, while they're clipping and kissing. So that's good. So anyway, like that's it, right? We know that Tristram has in fact uh, been unfaithful to La Belle Isode in exactly the way that Guinevere thinks that he won't. Um, both of them, both Guinevere and Lancelot overestimate both of them, right? They assume that their relationship is purer than it is and they assume that Tristram is better than he is, right? Um, uh, but the super important thing here, of course, in Guinevere's speech, this is one of those speeches you're going to want to remember, right? So your lover whom you always believed was faithful to you has run off with another woman. I'm sure there must be, honey, there must be a logical explanation for this. It's almost certainly not, uh, you know, like because he was actually unfaithful to you. It's probably her fault, right? He was probably ensorcelled. It's probably, he's probably innocent, really. No reason to be upset. La Belle Isode, right? Remember that advice. Um, yeah, just keep that in mind. Might be relevant later. Okay, we have time for a little bit more. Um, we'll do at least the beginning of the story of uh, the little story of Sir Lamarack that we get. Um, everybody, we're not very good sailors in the Middle Ages. People are always getting wrecked. Uh, <laughs> They're crossing the channel. I mean, that happens. Uh, you know, it, it's going to keep happening for a long time. Crossing the channel is never going to be like super fun and easy. Uh, but uh, as you can see, like both Sir Lamarack, like his ship goes down at sea and uh, he loses everybody but his squire who dies soon thereafter. So uh, like Sir, Lamarack, Sir Lamarack alone, because of his strength as a swimmer, uh, is able to to get to the shore alive, or at least mostly alive, uh, before he's then like resuscitated um, uh, by the fishers, right, who find him. Um, Sir Tristram and his new wife, uh, the one who is not La Belle Isode, uh, the just kind of cute Isode, uh, is they're also wrecked, right? And so that's what we're getting here. They're they're in a bargeit. And there the bargeit all torova, and there Damizode was hurt. And as well as they meeked, they got into the forest. And there by a well, he saw Sir Seguarides and a damsel with him. And then either saluted other. Sir, said Sir Seguarides, 
I knew you well for Sir Tristramus de Leones, the man in the world that I have most cows to hat, because he departed the love between me and my wife. You, you, you got to think here, right, that this is... Uh, uh, the, this has got to be an awkward conversation. And Tristram is standing here with his wife, right? You imagine Tristram being like, <laughs> okay, enough uh, ixnay on the, on the, yeah, this is awkward. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, because he departed the love between me and my wife. But as for that, sighed Sir Seguarides, I will never hot a noble knicht for a lichladi. And therefore, I pray you to be my friend, and I will be yours unto my power, for wit you well, ye are hard bestad in this valley, and we shall have no ado either to succor other. Sir Seguarides, right? He's like, um, uh, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Catriona. Sir Seguarides himself is sitting there with another woman while accusing Tristram of coming between his wife and him. So yeah, now, it, it, it's a damsel with him, right? So it's just, she's just probably one of those adventure guide damsels. She probably works for the same firm of like tourism adventure guides that like the three different age late damsels, you know, that guided, you know, Ewain, Gawain and Marhalt around uh, worked for. But anyway, you know, uh, it's, um, but, but nevertheless, Catriona, yeah, there's a little, uh, it's like, well, I see we've all moved on, you know, since those days, apparently. Um <laughs> <laughs> Karina, I worked so hard not to give that particular subtitle to this slide, but I was, needless to say, extremely tempted. Um, anyway, so yes, David, light means wanton here. Um, I will never hot a noble knicht for a leaked lady. Leaked, uh, leaked does mean um, uh, wanton. Absolutely, yes. Um, light in sexual virtue. Uh, is what he's referring to here. So um, he's not going to let a light lady come be uh, between him and a noble knight, right? Um, that's, um, that's, that's, so, so like bygones, right? That's fine. You know, you slept with my wife and we fought about it at the time and you injured me and you got away with it. And then it was embarrassing later on and, and, and whatever. And then my wife turned away from you, which was embarrassing to you and whatever. Anyway, bygones, right? What's, uh, side together. Uh, I'll help you and you help me because there's a really scary guy who lives around here and he's going to uh, kick the crap out of both of us. So let's stick together on this. Um, everybody seems um, quite willing to get along, including, of course, the next big meeting, which we've been building up to, right? Which is the reunion of Lamarack and Tristram. So they had that awkward encounter at the tournament where Tristram in unknightly fashion, but at the insistence of King Mark and against his own protests, unseated Lamarack and humiliated him. And then Lamarack's rather, uh, uh, well, not only harsh, but pretty shady um, uh, revenge that he took, right, with um, the uh, chastity horn. Um So this is finally their meeting. And I don't know about you, but like I'm ready for a, a battle royal, right? I mean, this is going to be like the big, because remember, this is not just, you know, the two knights with a serious grudge each against the other, right? Finally meeting. But they, this is the number two and the number three knight in the world. 
I mean, this is like this is a marquee. This is like a pay-per-view event, which looks like it's about to happen here, right? Lamarack begins the conversation. Uh, ah, sir, remember ye not of the fall ye did give me on us, and after that ye refused to feet on foot with me? Sir, says Tristram, that was not for no fear that I had of you. Oh, great start there, Tristram. It's not that I was afraid of you or, you know, like respected you or anything. Um, but me shamed at that time to have more ado with you, for as me seemed, you had a no ado. But, sir, weet you well, for my kindness, ye put money, for my kindness, sarcasm there, ye put money laddies to a repress when ye sent the horn from Morgan le Fay unto King Mark, and it should have gone to King Arthur, whereas ye did that in despite of me. Well, said he, and it were to do again, so would I do. For I had labor, strife, and debat fell in King Mark's court rather than in King Arthur's court. For the honor of both courtes be not like. Now, why, it's an understatement. As to that, sighed Sir Tristramas, I know well. But that, that was done for despite of me. He's like, don't try to wriggle off the hook on this one, right? Don't try to be like, oh, no, I wasn't trying to insult you. I was just trying to protect Arthur's court, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, whatever, right? Uh, that that was done for despite of me right let's be honest with each other here lamarack but all your malice i thank god hurt not greatly right in the end nobody got brent so that was fine therefore said sir tristramas ye shall leave all your malice and so will i and let us assay how we may win worship between you and me upon this giant sir naban lenoir that is lord of this island to destroy him Sir, said Sir Lamarack, now I understand your toad. It might not be false that all men sigh, for of your bounty, noblesse, and worship of all connectis, ye are peerless. And for your courtesy and gentleness, I showed you unkindness, and that now me repenteth. Yeah, Tarlonio, they can all get along, right? So here again, this what looked like it was going to be an epic battle between Tristram and, and Lamrak, they just make up, right? It's fine. Um, notice that they... Um, uh, <laughs> Kareem was saying the shady revenge of the chastity horn uh, could be a pulp novel. Uh yeah, Karita, that would have to be a, a pulp novel with an R-rated cover, like one of those embarrassing covers, I think. Um, uh, not to mention the fact that that title sounds much worse than it is. But anyway, um, okay, so... Um, but David, I agree that this is a really good point, isn't it? By Lamarack, right? So, I mean, he it, although he's still kind of dodging the point, yes, he was maliciously targeting... Sir Tristram, right? Sir Tristram is totally right to call him on that. Um, but of course, yeah, uh, deflecting it from Arthur's court was a good move anyway. But notice the most important thing here. Lamarack had good reason to be upset, good reason to doubt what Tristram was doing. Tristram treated him in an unknightly fashion. That doesn't justify Lamarack's malicious retaliation, but it... Um, his doubt 
of Tristram was understandable, but notice how quick Lamarack is to say, actually, okay, now what? You're right. Now I understand your toad. It may not be false that all men sigh. You get the sense that Lamarack's been going around saying, everyone's being, oh, Sir Tristram is one of the greatest knights in the world. And he's like, oh yeah, whatever, right? That guy is a jerk and I can prove it. And now he's like, well, maybe everybody wasn't being false, right? Maybe everybody else was right when they said that you're bountiful, noble, worshipful, courteous, gentle, all these things. Um, for your courtesy and gentleness, I showed you unkindness. So he confesses his own fault there. One of the things, um, one of the things that I just kind of love about Sir Lamarack, Sir Lamarack is one of the most humble knights that we see in Mallory. Um, again and again, we see like Sir Lamarack is now again, there's, you know, he had a moment there, right, with the chastity horn. You know, there's no defending him on that as he himself confesses, like, that was wrong of me, right? I, I treated you unkindly. Um, but uh, uh, nevertheless, he is humble. He is not. the no, Watch the number of times that Sir Lamarack does not like have ego investment even later on in this island right here's the number two and the number three knight in the world right and they're both on this island with like the giant the black giant you know the uh, you know sir nabon lenoir Le right uh, he's the black knight slash giant who is uh you know just like kills all the knights that he can find right and everyone's terrified of him and Lamarack is ready to fight him, right? Lamarack is like, well, I think I can undertake that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to defeat this guy. And then up pops Sir Tristram, who goes and kills him before he can get there, right? Now, what would Sir Palamides do, right? Sir Palamides, if Sir Palamides were in that position, Sir Palamides would be gnawing his own tongue with frustration, right? What does Lamarack do? He's like, oh, no, that's great. Good on you, Tristram, right? He's totally fine with it. Um, his, uh, I, I, he, he is, uh, I think, a fascinating exemplar, and we can see it again and again, of humility. Um, but uh, anyway, okay, um, I'm going to stop there. We're, we'll continue with Sir Lam. We'll, we'll finish up Sir Lamarack, which is I don't have too too much here with Sir Lamarack, but we'll do some of that and then Lakote Malatile, and I think that's probably as far as we're going to get. So we'll be we'll count ourselves officially uh, a week. But so we're we're going to I said we're going to add a catch up week. That'll be this coming week, um, so that by the end of this coming week we'll be at the end of the story of Lakote Malatile, which will be where we were theoretically supposed to be for today. So that's fine. So then we'll be caught up. Then we're going to have, uh, we'll be, then the week after that is Thanksgiving week and I'm going to be away. So we won't have class the next week. And then we'll come back and continue uh, the week after that. So uh, back with more Sir Tristram and Sir Palamides. And we'll get some more uh, direct Lancelot and Guinevere action instead of just the indirect Lancelot and Guinevere stuff that we've been getting here. Uh, all the, the setup for the Lancelot and Guinevere stuff, the template for Lancelot and Guinevere's issues uh, that we're going to be seeing. So thank you, everybody.
for joining me again. Uh, really, really fun class. And I look forward to next week. Um, don't forget Magnolia Moot coming up this coming weekend. Don't forget. Um, looking forward to seeing some of you guys uh, down in Charlotte this coming weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up with the rest of you at other places and at, at other times. So thanks, everybody. See you guys next week. Bye now. The Mythgard Academy has been offering in-depth discussions of awesome books and films since 2013, completely free to attend and free to download. If you've enjoyed our discussions and would like to help them continue, please consider donating at signumuniversity.org fund.